Welcome to episode 192 of the Various Assembly Podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is going on vacation. So pumped. John Ugh. Scott Sloat. So excited. Are, are you willing to disclose where you're going? Yeah, we'll be in St. Augustine, Florida. So we, all, all we of our, go there all the time. All of our Florida peeps. Yeah. Our, 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 our huge audience in the state of Florida. Yes, yes. As soon as the hurricane moves through, which we're recording on a Wednesday, we should mention that. Yes. Uh, uh, I can't pronounce the name of that hurricane, by the way. I know that's shocking. I can't pronounce the name. <laughs> but uh, there's a hurricane moving through the Gulf right now. It seems yeah. to be hitting the panhandle, and it should be through by Friday. So okay, we'll be able to. But you're, where you're going is on the east coast of the Atlantic Florida, side. the Atlantic side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's getting some like residual rain and winds, yeah. but that's about sure. it. Nothing, nothing too severe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so as John mentioned, we are recording on a Wednesday for an episode that will drop the following Tuesday. This might be the earliest. Well, that's not true. That's we, not we, true. we did the three episodes in one day extravaganza. Yeah, yeah. You say extravaganza, <laughs> I almost said fiasco. But. Uh, that wasn't a fiasco. We were just both ridiculously worn out by the third episode. Yeah, that took a lot. It did. Uh, so um, this has created some interesting uh, – Dynamics here, uh, which I will explain in just a minute. First, let me do the intro, right? Okay. Let's just yeah, get this go, out of the way. Go ahead. Uh, if you'd like to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter at VNS Pod, also known as X. I, I think I've learned that that's the symbol but not for the name. Twitter now, and okay. that the name is still Twitter. Okay. But the symbol is the X. Okay. All right. We need to get Elon on the show to help us out. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps he can give us some uh, cryptocurrency uh, tips as well. Or talk about SpaceX. I mean, yeah, I'd love to talk about SpaceX. I think, yeah. or, or dying on Mars, like he's talked about. I think Twitter's a big distraction from him dying on Mars. <laughs> okay, we need him focused on Mars, not Twitter. There you go. Uh, you can email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and on YouTube, and we would like for you to leave a five star rating and a review if you would please. So we announced that uh, this is being recorded in advance, well in advance. And so part of what makes this challenging is this upcoming weekend. So by the time you're listening to this, the first weekend of college football has already happened, including the first Ohio State game. And I just could not bring myself to be in a position where there was going to be an episode dropping. Yeah. On the Tuesday after the open of the college football season and not be able to talk about an Ohio, the first game of the Ohio State season. just it, it just felt wrong. Just felt morally unacceptable to me. Morally? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Strong I words. I, I went there. Strong words. So I came up with an idea that John has agreed to. Mm-hmm. So here is what's going to happen. We are going to begin our sports segment by doing – a recap of Hard Knocks. Which I woke up early this morning and watched. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then at a later time, after the weekend, but before this episode drops, so it'll just seem seamless to you as the listener, I am going to record another piece of the sports segment with my son, Jake. 
Yep. And we will cover the Ohio State uh, opening weekend and college football. And any other big Any other big news. sports stuff that pops up mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So he's very excited about that. Okay. And he's actually going to the game. Oh, he's going to the going Ohio, to the Ohio State, State game. Yeah. Interesting. So, so he's like a correspondent. So yes, he is our. He will be our Ohio State correspondent. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Right. Great. Okay, John. So let's uh, let's start with hard knocks here. Um, what's going on? So uh, yeah. So this would have been the week before they played the Giants. So this in, in preseason. In preseason. So it includes uh, the Giants preseason game. All of the Jets starters played in the Giants preseason game. That was kind of a big deal. Uh, the episode itself, uh, there's really three things that stick out. Okay. One, <laughs> they talked to two undrafted rookie wide receivers. Hmm. Uh, and they were they both kind of got pitched as these bubble guys. Yep. You know, will they, won't they make the team? Yeah. Uh, one guy had a one-handed catch in training camp. And they just seemed like a, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Another guy went to a Division two school. And it's just wildly fast, mm-hmm. uh, just so, so fast. Uh, they talked to both of them. They kind of like, ooh, will they, won't they make the team sort of thing. Well, th- the rosters came out yesterday. They both made the team. What a relief. Isn't that wonderful? Um, one, one is a kicker. Anyway, guys were a lot of fun. Xavier Gibson is the fast one. And then uh, Brownlee is his name, uh, <laughs> is the other wide receiver. But – yeah, they they were a lot of fun. They they had them playing ping pong and they were betting push ups and and other things as they played ping pong at the Jets facility. So that was the first thing. Okay, that'll warm your heart. Yeah, uh, right there. The other two things are are a bit more humorous. Do you want the Randall Cobb or do you want the Aaron Rodgers story? Uh, let's start with Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so Aaron Rodgers played in the preseason game. Yes, and. Uh, a defensive lineman came up and, well after he threw the ball, hit him in the chest. You know you know how defensive linemen do that, right? This, like, is this in the preseason game? This or? is in the preseason okay, game. Okay, so a Giants player. A Giants player came up and hit him in the chest. Okay. And Aaron Rodgers turns and yells at him, have some respect. <laughs> I'm cleaning up the dialogue a bit. I, I am confident of that, yes. Uh, and he responds, why should I show you respect? I'm like, he, Aaron Rodgers just screams, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> to which this defensive lineman shouts back, I don't know who you are. <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers turns to him and just goes, there's just no way. There's right. just no way that's <laughs> yeah, true. That's impossible. <laughs> that's impossible. And so then Aaron Rodgers goes to the sideline. Did you hear what this guy said to me? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was very funny. Mm-hmm. The other moment uh, is the Jets had a had a screen to the left that Aaron Rodgers threw. Uh, this is the Randall Cobb story, and a, a guy caught it. Randall Cobb was running kind of a, across the four across uh, where the linebackers are, so across the uh, across the a shallow cross there. Yeah, yeah, behind the line of scrimmage or like it, just beyond the line of scrimmage. Well, a linebacker I believe was trying to catch this guy. And Randall Cobb came and blocked him, kind of Bl- almost blindside. I think I saw the, it was. I it was, think I saw the clip. Yes, yes. Um, they immediately start talking about. They immediately pan to his wife in the crowd and goes, "Oh gosh, last time he did that, we got a nineteen thousand dollar fine." <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. And Aaron Rod- they get to the huddle. Aaron Rodgers laughing goes, 
dude, what do you think it is, 2014? Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you do that? You got a baby on the way? You could have used that money. <laughs> Did he get flagged for it? He got flagged okay. for it. And they, they, like everybody was joking about, yeah, Randall, you're, you're going to get a fine for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Randall Cobb, by the way, good dude. Yeah. I've enjoyed watching him on Hard Knocks. Okay. Uh, him and his wife did a baby announcement on Hard Knocks. Hmm. Uh, his little kids are really, really cute um, in the in in the stands, chanting J T E J E T S Jets 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 in the stands, hmm. cheering okay. for their dad. It's, it's yeah, Randall Cobb, good dude. Anyway, th- those are my uh, Hard Knocks stories. Any questions on Hard Knocks? <laughs> I, I do not think I have any questions at this time. I will say Zach Wilson has played well in the in the preseason. He's an awkward guy. Awkward, like socially, you mean? Yes. Okay. Yes, he says things. I'm just like, that That wasn't savvy or good, you know? Um, he did make fun of Aaron Rodgers for wearing old school iPhone headphones with, with the wires. Okay. And Aaron Rodgers, in typical Aaron Rodgers fashion, responds, well, dude, you know those Bluetooth are just giving people cancer all over the place, and uh, <laughs> we really can't trust them. And, you know, you know sort yeah. of while they're stretching and doing workouts, it's like, yeah. Oh, that's right. Aaron Rodgers a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's he's right. He's got a little conspiracy theory. Uh, oh, yeah. He's conspiracy theory adjacent, at least. Oh, no. I think he's squarely <laughs> squarely in the conspiracy theory category. Okay. All right. Well, what do we do now? I think that's our hard, hard knocks moment. Okay. Time now for our college football segment, and I am joined in studio by our official college football, more like Ohio State football correspondent, Jake Harmon. Jake, welcome to the program. Thank you. I will definitely take that. Um, and I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk some college football and some Ohio State football. Yeah, so let's jump right in. Uh, you were at the Ohio State-Indiana game. Ohio State opened their season on the road against uh, the Hoosiers Coming away with a twenty-three to three victory, uh, I'll let you start with your initial thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think it was one of those games where uh, leaving the stadium, like you didn't feel as good as you could have felt after that game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we've talked a little bit, and like I I would say it was probably like a B minus C plus performance, like. Definitely some first game, and you have to you you have to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and mm-hmm. look back and reflect. Like, you know, it was the first game of the season. Yeah, we're not going to be, a, you know, a finished product yet, and right. So, you know, a lot of the like little mistakes we made were kind of just like first game type of things, figuring things out. But, um, you know, overall, I thought, um, you know, obviously we got the win, so that's that's important. But you know, we definitely had flashes of good things for sure. I thought the defense played well. Um, Indiana did a lot of, uh, like triple option, speed option stuff. Like, I yeah. mean, they're, they're like running the ball up the middle on third and 10. Like it yeah. was a little, you know, perplexing at points. And I think the IU faithful around me were, were not too pleased, uh, with some of the play calling, but, yeah. um, but yeah, you know, I thought the defense played well and, um, you know, Josh Proctor at safety kind of stuck out as a guy that played pretty mm-hmm. well. And uh, Sonny Styles. And Sonny Styles. Yeah. He was, he was phenomenal. So you know, it was it was funny being at the game. Uh, all these guys changing numbers. Like I'm like, who is that again? Like, yeah. But uh, like I was looking for number twelve out there, Lathan Ransom, and now he's number eight. So yep. trying to you know figure out who, what which player is because I've heard all these names in, in mm-hmm. preseason. But um, but yeah, yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty good performance I would say from from the Buckeyes. So um, like to score more points, of course, but yeah. 
The new clock rules, man. I feel like we got to talk about that because yes. that is. Let's do 30 seconds on that. Um, new clock rules. So for those who aren't aware, in the college game, it used to be that when a team got a first down, the clock would stop until they reset the chains and then they would wind the clock and get it going again. Then you think, oh, well, what's the big deal? Well, that probably eliminates, I don't know, six to seven plays a half probably potentially. Yeah. And um, from a viewing perspective, you experience this in the stadium differently, but like it didn't change. So, so the idea is to speed the game up. The games are right. too long. Games are too long. Well, the networks still allot three and a half hours for those games. Yeah. So if the game now takes 10 less minutes, all that means is you're getting 10 minutes more of commercials. Yeah, so many timeouts in commercials. Like being there, it was like, you know, it was first down, then a guy was like kind of hurt. So like he was on the ground and yeah. the training staff came out and it was like, all right, we're going to take a TV timeout. And then we took like a three-minute timeout. And then, you know, the next two plays happen and they IU punts or something. Yeah. And then it's another timeout. Yeah. And there was just so many just like long breaks like in between. Yeah. You could easily – like there were stretches where it felt like in a 10-minute window, you got about eight and a half minutes of commercials and like maybe 90 seconds of action Yeah. at most. Uh, so. it, it was ridiculous, honestly. And like – I think a lot of the coaches pointed that out. Like Ryan Day pointed that out in his post game yeah. interview, um, and I, I think you saw the clip of, of Chip Kelly talking yeah. about that in his halftime. Like, man, I hope you guys are enjoying the commercials because yeah. it was. I mean, it's crazy. Like, the, how many less plays that that yeah. teams got to 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 do? So yeah. Yeah, I saw a stat that last year against Indiana, Ohio State had 17 offensive possessions. This year they had 10. Yeah. Now, some of that is is affected by when you have explosive plays, Right. you don't have the ball very long, but you score. Right. So then you stop the other team, get the ball back, so you get more possessions that way. Right. But still, yeah. it's it's going to be a factor. And IU was milking the clock. Yeah. They were They were definitely trying to like, – like you see in basketball sometimes – in college basketball, you'll see a team that's like we are the, we are clearly outmanned here. Mm-hmm. But if we take thirty, if we take twenty eight of the thirty seconds off the shot clock every possession, we slow the game down and we increase our chances of actually winning. Yeah, and that's what teams are gonna. That's what underdogs are gonna do. Yeah, yeah, and it and it made it interesting too with with that dynamic of the whole Kyle McCord Devin Brown yeah. dynamic where Ryan Day said before the game that he wanted to get Devin Brown some meaningful snaps yep. to kind of see what he can do. And he really didn't get a ton. You know, I, I, I was expecting more. And yeah. I think a lot of the Ohio State fans that were around yep. me were, like, expecting to see him more. Um, and part of that, I think, was just, of, of course, the clock or the new clock rule and less possessions. and Because yeah. um, it really felt like McCord was really just the guy. And, yeah. like, you know, Brown came in and ran, three, you know, hand the ball off twice and then ran it up the middle and got stuffed a yeah. third time. And then we didn't see him again until, like, basically the last possession of the game where he got to throw it a little bit. But right. kind of meaningless. Yep. Uh, you know, didn't have much of an impact on the game or anything. So... You know, I would have liked to see Devin Brown a little bit more, and maybe we will in the next game against Youngstown. But, um, yeah, just a second on Kyle McCord. I thought he played pretty well. Um, you know, definitely there were stretches where he made some bad decisions and yep. um, looked a little antsy in the pocket at times. But, you know, I think people tend to be pretty hard on the Ohio State quarterback. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was I saw something on Twitter that was like, you know, the last, like, five quarterbacks that we've had, their first game – 
or whatever. And his stats were pretty comparable to yeah. like CJ in his first game, yep. Justin Fields in his first game. Yeah. Um, you know, he had he had some really nice throws. The one to Marvin Harrison that for the touchdown that was taken back cuz yep. Marvin stepped out of bounds. That was a great throw. Yep. Like definitely flashes the of throw of good to things. Kate Stover over the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Um that was an excellent throw. And there was a there was a throw where he hit Julian Fleming between like three guys. Yeah. Where it's like I don't know that you should have shown, should have actually thrown that. Yeah. But it was like in a in a tight window. Yeah, and and he's way more mobile than I think people yes. gave him credit for. Like the way he, like there there is uh, there was one throw he had to uh, to chip Tranum where he was getting pressured and he kind of like ran out of the pocket and then like was running forward and then like stopped real quick and got his feet set and then like mm-hmm. chucked it in a tight window yeah. and impressive catch for a running back. But yeah. Um. So yeah, like definitely some good things for sure. Um, and I'm excited to see him him play because I I wish we would have aired it out a little bit more because I think yeah. he one of his strengths is his accuracy. Yeah. And uh, you know, he didn't really I would say air it out a ton like throw throw balls like you know 30 plus yards down the field or if he did like it was like there was like three of them probably. But mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think uh, he's got some room to grow for sure. But um, I I think my two biggest areas of disappointment were offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually didn't do too bad in pass protection. Yeah. But the run blocking was atrocious. Yeah. And um, and there were just missed, missed – some of that's just going to be the, the result of this is a new group of guys that haven't played together in a game. Yeah. And it was clear that they were not communicating clearly enough. And so, you know, IU would do some stunts or things like that where it's like you could tell – Somebody failed to make the adjustment to yeah. pick up the free blocker or for the free defender. Um, but uh, what what also concerned me is um, the play calling. Yeah. And the number of times that IU had eight or nine men in the box mm-hmm. and Ryan Day was like, we're going to run it anyway. Yeah. And I, so it doesn't – in one sense, it doesn't matter how good your offensive line is. When you're running into eight and nine-man fronts, yeah. there's almost always going to be a free defender unblocked. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think part of that too maybe is just like a mentality of like, well, we should be able to run the ball up the middle against IU and like mm-hmm. kind of push them around. And, yeah. and it clearly wasn't working. Like no. I think, you know, at some point you got to make an adjustment of, okay, well, they're – our offensive line's struggling a little bit, and they've got yeah. nine guys in the box, and it's third and three, yeah. and like running it just straight up the middle is not really working very well. So like yeah. we got to do something, do something different for sure. And I don't know. I think, yeah, Ryan Day I feel like has struggled in that a little bit, um, and obviously part of that is execution, of course, yes. but part of that is just like the like the thought process behind it, like you know third and short, and like. Either run it right up the middle where everyone is, or like run it to the short side of the field. Slow developing as well. Like, yeah. it's just you know, it's a little perplexing at times. Um, I don't understand Ryan Day's fascination with the boundary sweep. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, slow developing, smaller space. I don't know why we're doing that. Yeah, but yeah, like I, yeah, I would love to talk to somebody who has played football or coached football for a long time. To, to understand that because the only rationale I have for it is to keep the ball in that hash of the field. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm like, why would you run to the spot where there's less space? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. One other thing on play calling is I felt like we needed to do more to try to get the ball to Marvin Harrison and yeah. Emeka Egbuka because yeah. between only having five catches between the two of them 
is is unacceptable for like thirty yards. Yeah. Like it, it, yeah, it was. Like, and I get IU was double covering basically both of those guys, mm-hmm. bracketing them. But like it felt like if they were patient enough, comeback routes and curls were there yeah. regularly. If they just wanted to be like, okay, because they're so scared of Marvin Harrison blowing the top off the defense. Yeah. That if he goes ten yards out and then comes back, that's an easy seven or eight yard pickup. Yeah, and that and that's a way to get your quarterback some confidence. Yeah. Like just like even if it's like a bubble screen to Marvin or yeah. like or something just short and quick. Like we're yeah. getting the ball in the hands of our best player, yeah. or like Buka, maybe one of our other best players. Yeah, and you know at some point they've got to respect that as a defense and yeah. come up a little bit, and then that's when you can blow the top off the defense. But yeah. I. It was, it was, you know, a lot of the Ohio State fans around me were sharing their uh, uh, displeasure with yeah, the sure. fact that Marvin Harrison had two catches uh, yeah. in the game. So, yeah. yeah, definitely need to get him the ball a little bit more. Yeah. All right, Jake, we're out of time. Thanks for uh, jumping in. We'll see if this becomes a more uh, more than uh, one-off kind of appearance. Yeah. I'll evaluate with, uh, <laughs> with, with John about your performance. We'll grade you out. Okay, and, yeah. I'll uh, go back and watch the film. And, watch uh, some film, yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. All right, John, we're ready for our main topic of the pod. And since it is uh, this episode's coming out the day after Labor Day, I thought we would do something on work. Labor. Labor and the goodness of work. Okay. So we're now, not talking about like childbirth. We're not talking about – Labor. Nope, and we're not talking about labor unions okay. or organized labor in that sense. We could have gone that way. We could have. I don't know that either of us are very qualified to talk about labor unions. I don't think so either. Uh, and we also tend to try to stay away from politics. Yeah. And I think it's challenging to talk about unions without getting into politics. Yeah. I I think that's fair. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the goodness of work. And um, yeah, I thought maybe we would start just with uh, some of the kind of biblical foundations okay. and kind of riff off of that a little bit, um, as well as maybe identify some areas where we go uh, sort of off script in terms of just where we get it wrong mm-hmm. in terms of our perspective on work. So uh, I think the obvious place to start when it comes to uh, thinking about a sort of a biblical theology of work is Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. And um, Genesis 1 and 2, really. But uh, when you consider God creates human beings and he makes them in his image mm-hmm. and he gives them essentially work to do. That's really the first thing that God says to Adam and Eve. So in Genesis 1, after creating human beings, this is picking up in verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the field, uh, beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for 
food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So it's it's striking. A couple things stand out. Uh, the first is that uh, basically the first thing that God says to them is he gives them work to do. Mm-hmm. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, etc. That requires labor. Mm-hmm. That requires effort. And so— um, so when we talk about work, we're talking about the broadest possible sense of the word. We're not talking yeah, not, about your nine to five or not just that. That that is one. It's certainly encompassed that's one, in that. Yeah, but biblically speaking, it goes beyond that for sure. Mm. And, and ventures into a, all human activity at some yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then also, um, it's it's interesting that this is again before the fall. Mm-hmm. So. Work is good. It, you know, I think sometimes in our culture, uh, perhaps in our Western American culture, work is seen as sort of like a necessary evil. As a sort of, well, I mean, I got to have money for food and, and shelter and, you know, but in terms of thinking of it beyond that, it's just sort of a, eh, not really that excited about it, wish I didn't have to do it mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, I think it's uh, from this text. It's also to point out this is in the context of God's blessing. Yeah, you know, you know, so, so kind of going along with what you said, we think of this as a necessary evil or something that must be done in order to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually a way God blesses you. Um, yeah, it's actually part of God's blessing. Yep, upon humanity is to give them work in the broadest sense of the word to do. Yes, uh, and then. Um, it's you, if you jump into chapter two of Genesis, uh, picking up in verse eight, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And then, um, oh, let's see. Then jump down to verse fifteen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, to work it and to keep it. Well, there you go. Uh, and then He gives them. Uh, the one command in the garden. And so, uh, again, you see the goodness of work. Mm-hmm. God creates human beings to work, to to do things that express their image-bearing in the world. Now, in your reading of this text, what is the sense of that work that Adam uh, and eventually Eve would have done? What did it— Entail and mm-hmm. what was its ultimate purpose? So the if you read Genesis one and two in light of the rest of Scripture, it seems relatively clear, at least to me and to others, that uh, humanity is given a royal, a priestly, and a prophetic role. So mm-hmm. royal in the sense of ruling over, priestly in the sense of mediating God's presence. And um, and then prophetic in terms of communicating God's word. In practical terms, for them, it looked like uh, preserving. So if 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 Eden itself was uh, a 
a sanctuary, the place where God dwelled with his people on earth. Mm -hmm. Then their role is to preserve and protect the purity, the holiness of that That's realm. the keep command. Yep. yep. Yeah. And then actually to expand that by exercising dominion over larger and larger amounts of area so that God's sanctuary expands mm -hmm. in the created order. So that the was their task. The Garden of Eden is something of a, of a blueprint. Yeah. Yeah, a blueprint. Um, or you could even think of it as sort of like a beachhead hmm. in creation where God's presence dwells. It's holy. And as Adam and Eve exercise dominion over more and more of the areas surrounding that Edenic sanctuary, the boundaries of that expand. Uh, and that's, I think, you get hints of that later in Scripture when you see uh, passages like, uh, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, kind of mm. thing. Like, like that was, I think, sort of in seed form embedded within Genesis 1 and 2. And I think even, even before here in Genesis 2, we have sort of that... Uh, I, li I like the term beachhead, right? Sort mm -hmm. of, sort of a spot for a military to land from which they can mm -hmm. send out uh, uh, their armies, right? So, yeah. Subdue sort of has that connotation yeah. as well. So, sort of yes. has that militaristic connotation. Yeah, for sure. So, I think it's just uh, Genesis one and two. The thing to take away from it is that work is good. It was a good thing. It's a good gift that God gives um, because it's part of our image bearing. Now, of course, you get to Genesis 3, and it all goes off the rails, right? And so you get the um, the disobedience of Adam and Eve, and just trying to streamline here, it's striking that when, when God announces the curse that comes upon uh, all the parties involved, so to speak, right? He starts with the serpent, but when he gets to Adam, he says this, um, in verse, this is verse 17. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So the fall brings about difficulty, mm. further um, resistance. That uh, That's what makes work unpleasant. Mm -hmm. It's the entrance of sin and death into the world. So I, I think that's an important clarification to make. Work and itself is good. What makes it hard and bad and difficult is having to do it in a fallen world. As a fallen creature. And that's what scripture – the rest of scripture when it talks about work really, really deals with, right? It, mm -hmm. it, it often deals with uh, the difficulties or the struggles mm -hmm. or the frustrations. Yeah. Yeah, I mean one of the most obvious places it does it is in Ecclesiastes. Mm. Just talking about sort of the vanity of of work in the sense of all the hard work and toil and labor that goes into it. And what do you get out of it? And the resistance you meet with in a fallen world. Um, now, I think uh, what's also striking, though, is that once you get to the New Testament, you actually get um, 
discussion of work as a sacrificial offering to the Lord, hmm. that there's a sense in which the work of Christ, uh, again, I want to be careful about how I use this term, redeems our work. Like it, it, it sanctifies it. It sets it apart as something distinct from what the world does. Uh, so, for example, in Ephesians chapter 6, um, Paul addresses this, and he's, he's, it's in the context of talking to slaves, but the principle applies well beyond it. Um, uh Basically saying in verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Now, here's the principle. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or is free. What a beautiful passage about work. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of how we should approach it, right? So you've got not by way of eye service. In other words, not just doing something or doing the minimum to kind of get away with it, right? Yeah. Not just doing something to please your earthly supervisor in whatever context that is, uh, but doing it as an offering of service to the Lord himself. Yeah, I mean, it, it really gets to that biblical truth that what what truly matters is the is sort of the heart level, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, I think of oh my goodness, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about praying, uh, and praying, you know, praying for the praise of others, praying mm-hmm. in in the sight of others. Similar yeah. principle here. Yeah, uh, Jesus tells us to pray in the quiet, um, and God will hear us there. Mm-hmm. Here, He's telling us don't just work so that your boss likes you or that you're, uh, you're uh, uh, you know, seen as a good person in right. your society, but yeah. but do it as, as if you were working for the Lord. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, when you get to Revelation 22, I remember when I actually kind of got this for the first time. And this was really a uh, pretty significant paradigm shift for me. In Revelation 22, describing what's going to happen in the new creation— Uh, This is describing the new Eden, right? So verse 5 of Genesis – or sorry, of Revelation 22. uh, Sorry, this is actually verse 3. My bad. Verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will – and unfortunately, the ESV has worship worship him. It's serve. Oh. Not worship I think the term is much more explicitly understood more broadly than that, Mm -hmm. that it's serve. It's living out uh, basically what it was described in Genesis 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense in light of the parallels with what – you look at the larger context of Revelation 22. It's – this is a new Eden. Yeah. And so it makes sense that what human beings are doing is what they were supposed to be doing in Genesis 1 and 2. And so it goes beyond just – I think we hear worship and we think, oh, the new creation is just going to be one really long worship service where all we're doing is singing. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of that. But we will be doing things, exercising dominion over the new creation. Now, 
you know, we talked about uh, this would be akin to the word work in Genesis 2, right? Um, to mm-hmm. work in, yeah. in that to work and yes. to keep. Yes. That could also be translated serve if Correct. memory serves me. Yep, that's right. So there, that's a parallel here. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the fact that the word keep is not here? That, that the preservation, the guarding, the keeping – uh, isn't here in Genesis or excuse me, Revelation twenty-two. Do you make anything of that? Well, because in Revelation twenty-one, it basically stresses no unclean thing can enter there. Like it's it, that has already been settled. That sort of priestly role is no longer necessary in one sense, mm-hmm. because God's presence fully indwells and fills the new creation in a way that it didn't obviously mm. in Genesis. So I think that's probably the reason for it. Okay. So. You know, sometimes I think obviously the the sort of uh, not stereotype the the caricature that's what I'm looking for uh, that you see of oh well heaven's you know like sitting on a cloud playing a harp you know or or, or that sort of thing or you you know uh, this this song came out when you were like five but uh, uh-huh. DC talks big big house oh yeah, 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 it's yeah. a big big house with lots it's and lots a of room big big house yeah. I'm not going to sing it. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and and so I think we lose sight of the fact that, according to the to, to Revelation 21 and 22, we we will have work to do. And if you're if you're sitting there thinking that sounds awful, no, it's amazing. Yeah. Because everything that makes work bad, difficult, hard, stressful is gone. Your own sinfulness. The sinfulness of the creation around you, the sinfulness of sinners around you, all of that's gone. Yeah, I'm even trying to imagine. I can't even imagine what that's like. Yeah, like. It, it's <laughs> it's so far beyond our ability to really grasp. But uh, that's that's what that's getting at. So, um, let's talk about two extremes as a okay. sort of practical application reflections. Um, one is making work an idol. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that that shows up? Well, I mean, uh, I, I, it's kind of one of those things I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so I, I remember having a conversation with somebody that goes, I'm never going to stop working. I will die chained to my desk. I went, <laughs> you might have a problem. Yeah. You know, you know the, 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 there may be something there, mm-hmm. but I think of uh, the person that can't talk about anything but work. Mm-hmm. Um, likes their work probably a little too much and would be crushed if their work left them. Yep. Um, yeah. I think – I was talking with my wife about this. Uh, I think as a general rule, making a big, broad generalization, men tend to be more tempted to attach their identity to their work mm-hmm. than women. I think as a general rule. Of course, you can find exceptions to this. Sure. But – um, and so I think this can be a particular challenge for men, even as believers, to um, enjoy their work, but not to find their identity, their, the, not to find their ultimate purpose in it hmm. and make it an ultimate good rather than a sort of secondary good. Mm-hmm. And that can show up at, at, through a form of sort of being a workaholic where you neglect all your other responsibilities and are working – 80, 90 hours a week. And not that there aren't seasons for that. Sure. I, I, and the, I, I think there are times. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think the other extreme is 
laziness. Mm-hmm. Scripture is very clear in, in rebuking laziness that there's a place for rest. Absolutely. It's crucial. But, um, you know, some people need to hear a little bit more clearly, work's a good thing that God gave you. Go do it. Well, it, I, I also think like put, putting off all your work to the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I think of the passage in Proverbs, go to the ant, O sluggard. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and one thing you can look at an ant go, well, it's kind of constantly working. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to know what? It's doing little things all the time that achieve something yeah. much larger. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think – uh, I think you can actually do both of these at the same time, right? Uh, you can be yeah. you can be laziness as sin uh, when you mm-hmm. put off your work, put off your work, put off your work, put off your work, and then sort of at the last minute, I need to work 80, 90 hours a week in, yeah. in this quarter of the year yeah. to catch up. Sure. And I don't think that's the proper rhythm. And I think, I think that's part of what Proverbs is pushing back on, right? Mm-hmm. This sort of consistent, long-term, small action yeah. work. Yeah. Um, that builds over time. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is an area that that's kind of near and dear to both our hearts in terms of thinking about, talking about, reflecting on the area of work because it's connected to vocation as well in mm-hmm. terms of God's calling upon our lives and the different ways that that works itself out. So it's not just about what's your job. It's about – it's thinking about purposeful activity and – in the different spheres that God has placed you in to exercise, you know, to in essence exercise dominion. Yeah. In in that sort of stewardship way, for sure. Yeah. All right, John, you ready to move on? Sure. Time now for this day in sports history. Okay, today in sports history, September 5th. Already in September. Wow. Yeah. I feel like I do that every week where I <laughs> talk much. about how quickly you're yeah. moving. I probably need to stop that. It's a bad habit. Um you need to work on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'll wait till the last part of the year. It's lazy. Um, 1949, U.S. National Championship uh, men's tennis. Pancho Gonzalez beats fellow American Ted Schroeder uh, in a – I'm not going to read off all their tennis scores. Uh, longest <laughs> singles finals match uh, by game. 67 different games before – Yeah, the first set was 18-16. Uh, 18 games to 16 games. So before the tiebreaker rule kicked in. Yeah. 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 They they probably needed a tiebreaker. Yeah. Um, 1960? That, that's been surpassed. I feel like years ago at Wimbledon, like they played tiebreakers until you get to the fifth set mm-hmm. in the men's game. And then, the men, and then there's no tiebreaker. It's just until somebody gets ahead by two games. And it was something like, gosh, it was some obscene number like – do you remember who it was? Thirty to thirty to twenty-eight or something like that in terms of games. Finally, wow. before it was decided, it was some. I don't remember who it was, but it was some absurd. Roger Federer and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, nineteen sixty, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, yeah. uh, beats three-time European champion. Uh, uh, <laughs> new is a new? Sure. Is the Z silent? I don't. Th- I don't know. Zbigniew. Um, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Priowski. I don't know if I got that. Piotrkowski Pol- of Poland. <laughs> yep. Uh, by unanimous points decision to win the Olympic light heavyweight boxing gold medal at the Rome Games. 
Yeah, this, that was before he was known as Muhammad Ali. Yeah, Cassius Clay. And I believe it was probably an amateur. Yeah, yeah. It would have had to have been at that, for the Olympics at that point, yeah. Okay. Also in 1960, future world middleweight boxing champion uh, Nino uh, Benvenuti – oh, gosh – of Italy beats Yuri <laughs> Radonok. Did I get that right? Radonyak. Radonyak of the Soviet Union to win welterweight uh, gold medal at the Rome Olympics. Mm-hmm. Anytime somebody uh, somebody beats a Soviet, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, agreed. Um, Apologies to any of our Russian listeners. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm not willing to apologize for that. Maybe you are, but <laughs> – uh, 1972, 11 Israeli athletes taken hostage and later killed by Palestinian uh, Black September group at the Munich Olympics. I, do, I know nothing about this. Really? You've not heard of this before? No. No. Yeah. There's got to be documentaries on this. I feel like I've seen one. Okay. Uh, 1994, uh, San Francisco wide receiver Jerry Rice catches two touchdowns and passes and runs for another Uh in the 49ers' 44-14 route of the Raiders, surpasses Jim Brown as the NFL career touchdown leader with 127. Yeah. Jerry Rice. Yeah, who do you like out of that list? (sighs) Oh. We don't get too many Jerry Rice uh, mentions, do we? Uh, no, I don't really, really think we have. We've had plenty of I, – I feel like we've done the Muhammad Ali. Yeah, Cassius we've had a Clay. few with Muhammad Ali. Not Cassius Clay, but we've had – I mean we've not had a Pancho Gonzalez either. I mean, and I'm not sure we will again. <laughs> Up to you. What do you want to go oh, with? Oh, Jerry. Let's go Jerry. All right. Jerry it is. One thing you liked. All right. So I have just about finished the book. By the time this drops, I will have finished it. Um, 1776 by David McCullough. Have you read this? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Um, He basically goes throughout the whole year, 1776, and follows George Washington on his campaign because that's Mm – he wins the battle at Boston, takes Boston, uh, and then occupies Manhattan and Brooklyn and gets sort of shoved out of there. And that's kind of where I'm at now. He's in New Jersey somewhere. So, um, yeah, kind of – does a really good job of tracking troop movements through there um, and, like, what hills people are on and, mm-hmm. and different things like that. Are you reading or listening? Listening. Listening. Okay. Does he read it himself? He does. Okay. He does. How's his voice? A little dull. Yeah? <laughs> little dull. Yeah, a little monotone. Okay. But it's okay. Yeah. Um, I think the most impressive thing uh, – uh, Fort Ticonderoga. Yeah. Uh, Henry Knox goes there to pick up French cannons and takes them to Boston in the middle of winter. And he kind of tracks him as he's traveling. What a fascinating little <laughs> venture that was. Um, and, you know, put, put these on sleds and was just basically counting on it to snow in New York. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, eventually it did snow. One cannon fell in a frozen river. And he had to fish it out. Uh, I mean, we're talking wow. about like hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're talking those some are not light things. Yeah. Big, big cannons, and uh, it's it's pretty it's a pretty impressive uh, little venture. In fact, Henry Knox, in order to make the river thicker 
with with frozen water. He was drilling holes into the ice to allow fresh water to bubble up over the top and freeze. Hmm. And I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. To make it thicker. Okay. I thought that was pretty interesting. It is. It is. Anyway, what was your one thing? So I'm going to borrow it from, as we're recording it, it's the previous weekend by the time it drops. Two weekends. Two weekends ago. But um, so I went to a Lakeland Christian Academy soccer match and I'm walking up and I noticed that in the field behind where the soccer match is taking place, there is a group of Indians. As in like people from India, not like uh, Native Americans, uh, uh. Uh, playing cricket. Really? Yes. Hmm. So – and I sent you yeah. a little video yeah. clip of that, uh, that. And so I watched a little bit and one of, the, one, of the, one of the players came up and asked me like, do you – like are you following what's going on out there? And I said, well, I, I'm – very new to cricket. I'm still figuring it out. I feel like I understand about like 60% of what's happening out there. Hmm. And so I just kind of just gave a brief description. He's like, yep, that's right. And so I got a chance to ask some questions and it was fascinating. Hmm. Um, so l- my first live in-person experience nice. with cricket. Here in Winona Here in Lake. little Winona Lake, Indiana. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. They were using a tennis ball rather than a actual like uh, official cricket ball. Why? Why? I I think just because of the surface and the bounce makes it easier. Like I think it's just more of like a more of a friendly game. So easier to hit the ball, I think. Okay. Hmm. But uh, he did. There was a cricket ball, an actual one there. So got to feel what that's like. Very similar to a baseball. Okay. Maybe even a little harder than a baseball. Like, you know, if you push hard on a baseball, it gives a little, just a little bit. Just a hair. Yeah. yeah. This room doesn't really give. And okay. instead of having like the seam, it has seams, but it's like, it's like the going around the, uh, like the circumference of the ball. It's, so it's not like the, the curved stitched pattern on oh, a baseball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, it, you can think of it like the equator. Hmm. It's just a, 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 just a one seam around. around. But yeah, he was showing me like all the different grips you can do so that when you throw it and it hits the ground, it like kicks right or it kicks left or it pops up or it skids. Like hmm. yeah, fascinating. That is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So that was my one thing I liked. Hmm. All right, John. We have talked hard knocks. We have talked Ohio State football. Eventually. Sort of. In the future. Yeah. We have talked the goodness of work. We have talked about Jerry Rice. We've talked about 1776. We've talked about cricket. So I think, by definition, we have covered our various sundry topics. And all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.